everyone, this is Liz, and I'm here to tell you what's coming up on the Popping Collars feed for August 2021. The Popping Collars regulars are on summer vacation this month, so we're bringing you a very special crossover episode we recorded with the hosts of the Being Truly podcast. Hear what happens when the longest running Episcopal pod meets the new kid on the block. Greg has a great new interview this month with Edson Oda, the writer and director of the new film, Nine Days. They talk about beauty, truth, and the afterlife on a new edition of Under the Stole. Things get a little dark on Going on 30 this month. Betsy and Greg try to survive the Stephen King thriller, Misery. Stephen McHale is back on The Sacred Six this month to talk about Help, the soundtrack for the second Beatles movie. Finally, it's that time again. Ricardo and I are here to help you figure out what you need to be reading now in a brand new episode of the Poppin' Collars Book Club. Thanks for listening and keep those collars popped. Hi, I'm Greg. And I'm Betsy. And this is Going On 30, a Popping Collars side project where we're the number one fans. Number fans one fans. Of yes. movies that were nominated or should have been nominated for Best Picture 30 years ago this month. We're looking at the Stephen King classic, Misery. He almost died. You have a compound fracture of the tibia in both legs and the fibula in the right leg is fractured too and as soon as the roads open i'll take you to a hospital in the meantime you've got a lot of recovering to do there is nothing to worry about you're gonna be just fine i'm your number one fan my name is annie wilkes i think one of my clients paul sheldon might be in some kind of trouble you mean paul sheldon the writer well, everybody sure likes those misery books we had it at the store paul they said he checked out last tuesday isn't that a little strange? I guess it was kind of a miracle you finding me. In a way, I was following you. You were following me? Oh, Paul, I've read everything of yours, but the misery novels. You must be a good man. You could never have created such a wondrous, loving creature as Misery Chastain. Very kind. The presumption must now be that Paul Sheldon is dead. You dirty bird. How could you? Misery Chastain cannot be dead. Misery spirit is still alive. I don't want her spirit! I want her! And you murdered her! You don't think he's dead, do you? And don't even think about anybody coming for you, because I never called them. Nobody knows you're here. And you better hope nothing happens to me. Because if I die, you die. I know you've been out. Is this what you're looking for? Eventually, you'll come to accept the idea of being here. Annie, whatever you think I'm not doing, please don't do it. Any for God's. Shh, darling. Trust me. God's sake. It's for the best. God, I love you. Betsy, I have a brief description of this movie. Would you like to hear it? I would love to hear Novelist Paul Sheldon crashes his car on a snowy Colorado road. He is found by Annie Wilkes, the number one fan of Paul's heroine, Misery Chastain. 
Annie is also somewhat unstable. I love that. Somewhat unstable. Somewhat. And Paul finds himself crippled, drugged, and at her mercy. Betsy, what is your history with misery? So I am a fan of Stephen King. I first got into his books with The Stand, and that was that was that's always been and still is. Oh wait, The Stand, the miniseries, The Stand. No, The Stand, the book, The Stand. Oh, okay. And then watched the miniseries with Molly Ringwald, mm-hmm. and Gary's and have niece. been actually a fan of reading a lot of his more recent work. So when he puts things out now like the Institute or cell some other things like that, that have been, I mean, because the man, as we all know, is prolific uh, that I've been a little more into that than, than going back in and digging through Cujo and everything else. So like, I've mm-hmm. never read misery. I've just seen the movie and I don't think I saw it in the theater. I think I was too young mm-hmm. to go to an R rated film mm-hmm. in 1990, but I did see it on TV and I cannot remember whether because of course the scene that you're all that it builds towards is that hobbling scene and like that's the thing that has <laughs> resonated with me that has been a fingerprint on me me about this movie right is the dread of that scene coming up and i can't even remember whether when they showed it like on tbs or whatever that they showed that and i don't even know whether they needed to like in a hitchcocky kind of way they kind of even didn't really need to if you yeah. knew what she was doing you know, it's perhaps not necessary, but that moment really just the kind of pain down my sciatic of that moment. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we've made jokes that I've been living misery for the past couple of months <laughs> since I've had knee surgery. There were definitely some elements of that and laying in bed a little triggery. But I have to say my staff was a lot better mm-hmm. than than nurse Annie in this situation. <laughs> James Con, yeah. we triumph together. What about you? What's your history? Uh, So likewise, did not see the movie in 1990. uh, Obviously, I would have been too young for this. I'm trying to think of when I actually did see it. I want to think that this was probably one of the, like you said, this was probably one of the edited for television movies that I would have seen as a kid. So I would have probably checked it out on a TBS or a USA or something like that. I don't have any particular connection to this movie other than to say that I've, I've seen it several times, I'm sure. And I really like it. Uh, Betsy general thoughts about the movie. What are your hot takes about misery? Hot takes. You need hot takes in the coldness. It's freezing in this movie. Okay. So here we go. Love William Goldman is a classic Hollywood screenplay uh, guy. Uh, He has a great, great book about Hollywood, but, um, I mean, it's interesting to me. I think my overall take is I don't know how popular when this book was written in 87 and then the movie in 1990, really talking about stalking and what stalking looked like. Right. So um, Rebecca Schaefer's murder and others had kind of popularized this idea of stalking and that it's interesting that it's often in real life. The stories we were hearing about were stories of men who are obsessing about women and then hunting them, getting information on them and, Mm -hmm. and harming them. But, you know, when it comes around to Hollywood telling the story, we have a woman who's obsessing over a man and, and is following his every move. And then she is the, she's the crazy stalker. So, you know, we, you know, we even as, you know, we need to have this poor white guy victim 
um, amidst a, a problem that was mainly affecting <laughs> women at the right. time, right? So I found that to be interesting. I, I also didn't appreciate at the time of watching it long ago, kind of some of the Hitchcockian type of ways that Rob Reiner, I think, was trying to bring into this direction of the film. You know, when he's kind of going around the house and he's not supposed to be out in the house and you slowly hear the clock kind of ticking in the background the whole time that that she's gone and he's just kind of poking around the house. And just like there's a lot of small subtleties because the the world is the universe is very small in this movie. Mm-hmm. And we only have a few touch points outside, occasional, you know, Lauren Bacall, beautiful. So the yeah. world that they have to build that is Annie's world is really is interesting to me. But yeah, I'm like, okay, great. You've made a film about stalking and the and the woman's <laughs> stalker. So thanks. But and it's all and then at the same time, it's also all about this very feminine romance novel. Like it's all right. it's just there's a lot of things being kind of said about women here and that she seems to also have this kind of uh, black widow syndrome as, you know, being um, a white woman who's into true crime. Uh, I, you know, that a lot there there's that's a category of serial killer when they uh-huh. are put in positions, particularly being caregiver, whether it's wife or nurse or those sorts of things. And so she has tchotchkes around her house that are placed in very specific positions so she has like obsessive you know her obsession doesn't just apply to him it applies to like all the different aspects of her life Mm -hmm. um did you know kathy bates before this movie like did you know of her as an actor no, because I mean, and 1990 is a big year for Kathy Bates. It's a huge year for her. I had no sense of Kathy Bates before this movie. So, no. yeah, that's why I was curious. No, because James Caan is, like, famous, famous. Famous, famous. And Kathy Bates is, like, an up-and-comer. That kind of affects the way that you see the story as well, right? Because James Caan is Sonny Corleone, for God's sake. He's like, he's right. he's the manliest man that there is. And he's fallen victim to this, you know, dowdy nobody. He is done in by someone that you would never suspect. Sonny Corleone is done in by someone you would never suspect. But then it allows for Kathy Bates to just be completely absorbed into the Annie Wilkes character. She is Annie Wilkes. No one will even know it exists. As long as it does exist, your mind won't ever be free. I think you should light the match, Paul. Can't you see it's what God wants? You're so brilliant, I would think you'd certainly be able to see that. We're put on this earth to help people, Paul. Like I'm trying to help you. Please, help me help you. Oh, my goodness. Goodness. It feels like this movie has a lot of stuff that shows up in other Stephen King movies. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of stuff that felt like The Shining in this movie for me. There was obviously a ton of stuff that feels like Gerald's Game, Mm -hmm. which I think is on Netflix now. I mean, it's just like it's it makes me think that that Stephen King probably has like recurring nightmares that he writes about in his stories. No, you know, <laughs> like, there's also an element of camp in this movie yeah. that isn't as present. I mean, and then maybe it is as present in some of his other works. There's always a character that tends to bring the camp 
And yeah. you know, when he's when when the snowstorm is getting really bad, like they're just tossing full buckets of ice onto shield and i'm like going oh lord help us special effects they did probably not did not get nominated in rob reiner he he does this he does a really great job with wait for it tension i'm thinking of the scene where paul is reaching for the hairpin that's on the floor mm-hmm. and it's right at his fingertips but he can't quite get it into his hand and you know we could we could spend yeah, five seconds on that, but we spend 20 seconds on it and it just makes it feel more heightened. The other scene that comes to mind that reflects this idea is the wine, the spilled wine. Let's have a toast. A toast? Yes, to um, to misery. Let me pour you some wine. No. Oh. Hmm? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> to misery. Wait. Let's do this right. Do you have any candles? Oh, um, I don't know. I, I think so. I'll go look. Listen, if you can't find any, it's okay. I just thought it'd be nice. Are you kidding? If anyone had ever told me that one day I'd be having a candlelit dinner with Paul Sheldon in my own house, I would have checked both legs to see which one was being pulled. (laughs) (laughs) Will this do? It's perfect. To Misery and to Annie Wilkes, who brought her back to life. Oh, Paul, I get goosebumps every time I think about it. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, my God, what have I done? Oh, I'm so sorry, Paul. I ruined your beautiful toast. Will you ever forgive me? Here, let me pour another one. Can we pretend this never happened? misery misery Mm -hmm. and just all the setup that goes into that dinner and all of the planning and all of the stuff and it's just this wait for it wait for it wait for it wait for it bang it's gone it's done you know well and and i will say being somebody who has been had limited motion in the last couple of months you know i've you all can't see my bedroom. I'm just surrounded in very close arms reach by anything I might possibly need. Right. Cause that's the way you need to be. But I've had those moments where my, my fingers are just touching the edge <laughs> of the thing that I need and I just can't get closer. Or it's an awkward angle and the crutches are in the way and I just can't. So yeah, I think they do. He does a great job with mm-hmm. attention build, which I'll talk more about when we get to favorite scene yeah it's one of those where it's like you can totally see yourself driving and you drop something down in the yes you know in the on the floorboard under you and you you have to look up because you have to pay attention to driving but you're like reaching down with the other hand and you're like feeling for and you just can't get it like if you could just stop and look down you would easily pick it up you know that kind of uh speaking of reiner betsy i have a top five Top five already. That's Rob Reiner associated. Yeah. Ooh, what Top is five. It? 
Tell me. I have the top five most dramatic genre shifts for directors from one movie to the next. Oh, okay. So you're basing this off of... Is uh, did he go from When Harry Met Sally to this movie? He did. He went from okay, When Harry Met okay. Sally last year to okay, Misery okay. this year. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Do we have honorable mentions? I do. I I have one honorable mention because the second movie hasn't come out yet, so I don't know how much of a shift it is. Okay. Got it. Okay. But so my honorable, honorable my honorable mention is actually uh, a movie from this year. It's Chloe Zhao making okay. Nomadland, okay. and her next movie is going to be Marvel's The Eternals. That's... So she's going from Frances McDormand in a van in the wow. Western United States to the cosmic origins of Thanos. Oh, we love movie. doing this with directors. <laughs> cool indie film, very atmospheric and awesome. You're going to make a Marvel movie. Make a Marvel movie. A Marvel exactly. Movie. All right, so, so what's number five? Number five, Ang Lee going from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon to Hulk. Okay. That first Are these Hulk all going to be people moving to superhero movies? No, but or that one that one stood movie? out. You don't go like seriously. Well, Crouching and that, was the, bad, the that was the bad Hulk, wasn't it? That was the one that wasn't good. Okay. Right? We say it's the bad Hulk, but I actually really kind of like it. And Nick okay, Nolte's actually People just turned great. off the podcast. They just turned it off. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I really like back. it. I think I get what Angley was going for. Nick Nolte's actually really great in that movie. Yes, there are hulked out like poodles and stuff, but it's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Well, let, let's let's move forward then. Okay, so number four. <laughs> number four, Ava DuVernay going from 13th to a wrinkle in time. Two okay. very different things. Um, all right, so let's go, let's go number three. Number three, Rob Reiner going from When Harry Met Sally to Misery. Okay. I think that this is even more of a shift than Stand By Me to Princess Bride. I think this is more dramatic. Yes, true. And then number two? Number two is our good friend Martin Scorsese Ooh. going from Cape Fear to the Age of Innocence. Oh, that's, yeah. That's a departure. That's that is that, that you get the period <laughs> and genre shift. Exactly. Exactly. And less tattoos. Yes. The age of innocence. Yes. Yes. Could you imagine if Robert De Niro was in the age of innocence and he went from that creepy guy in Cape Fear to Just like walked off the set <laughs> into the that that's a little shocking. All right. Okay. Well, then number one, then what is it? The number one most dramatic genre shift for a director from one thing to another, Steven Spielberg going from Jurassic Park to Schindler's List. Yeah. 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 Big shift. Huge. Well, you, shift. well, you make, you think, because you make those, you make those Jurassic Parks. So then you're like, I'm making Schindler's List now and no one can say anything about mm -hmm. it. Betsy, what is the best scene from Misery? I think it's got to be when Buster. Richard Farnsworth comes mm -hmm. out to the house. <gasps> we have the same it. best scene. We have the same best scene. <laughs> he's been circling and circling literally in a helicopter, figuratively reading books. And he's like putting it together and putting it together. And then it clicks mm -hmm. and he's out there and you're just the tension yeah. of having, you know, cons laying on the ground and his hands kind of wrapped up in that grill. And you're like, mm -hmm. just do it. 
Mm-hmm. And then she just obliterates him. And it's just like, but the but the way he kind of slowly moves around the house, the way he knows to avoid the cocoa. Right. All of that. Yeah. Just made it a great scene for me. Farnsworth is so great. Like the straight story, which was the David Lynch movie, maybe mm-hmm. like the most mainstream David Lynch movie of all time. Mm-hmm. He was just so good in that. The natural is so good in it. Uh, Farnsworth's just great. Yeah, when I was talking about similarities between this and The Shining, I was really thinking of like, you know, the way Farnsworth character is similar to Scatman Crothers character from The Shining. And that that sort of that savior that's going to come in, but is he going to be helpful? No, he's not. Right. <laughs> you know, and like, oh no. How much of a psycho fan are you? Uh, Alfred Hitchcock. I appreciate Psycho. Um, I think I like I like the idea that you don't have to show everything, and that because my, my mind is doing much more terrible things. Yeah, because there was a lot of there was a lot of this scene, like Farnsworth's his death scene, mm-hmm. that reminded me of Psycho. There's a detective, um, Detective Arbogast, who you think is going to like figure it out. He's going to. He's going to find Janet Lee. <laughs> he's going to, you know, he's going to solve the case. Like Norman Bates is going to get busted, like all of that stuff. And he's like walking through the house and everything's empty and everything's slow. And then finally, like Norman comes around a corner dressed as mother. And you're like, oh, no, not Arbogast. Like he was our last hope, you know, that kind of thing. Like there's a lot of that, it feels like in the scene. And so it makes me think that, Either Reiner or King or Goldman must have been heavily influenced by Psycho with this movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, best performance from the movie. I'm going Richard Farnsworth. Oh. Says, I really loved his presence as a character. You know, Con and Bates do great work. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you know because if because I have a feeling you're going to pick one of them. So we'll we're going to get yeah. to talk about the other person, but. I really found him as a as the as the Stephen Kingiest character in the movie. I really liked him and like watching his mind work to try to figure out what's happening because there really is pretty airtight. Why would anybody come looking for him even after that car is found? So I really I enjoyed I enjoyed Farnsworth as a as a character and wanted to give him a shout out as a smaller character in the film. Yeah, totally. You're right. I'm going Kathy Bates. And I don't yeah, think it's it even good. close. I don't think it's even close. I know. I think um, she's fabulous. I'm totally with you on Farnsworth. I was also thinking that this would have been a great... If this movie had come out now, it would have been like a great Sam Elliott part, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. For me, it's Bates, and it's not even close. She's just so good mm. at being able to turn on a dime when she's critiquing his his book that he just finished i know i'm only 40 pages into your book but what's ridiculous who am i to make a criticism to someone like you it's all right i can take it well it's brilliantly written but then everything you write is brilliant pretty rough stuff the swearing paul the profanity bothers you it has no nobility. These are slum kids. I was a slum kid. Everybody talks like that. They do not? 
What do you think I say when I go to the feed store in town? Oh, now, Wally, give me a bag of that effing pig feed and 10 pounds that bitchly cow corn. And in the bank, do I tell Mrs. Bollinger, oh, here's one big bastard of a check. Give me some of your Christing money. There, look there. See what you made me do? Oh, Paul, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. She just Sometimes does such a great so job. He's a dirty bird. Yeah. I, I love Kathy Bates. I'm a big, like, Six Feet Under fan. So, yes. you know, I'm a huge Kathy Bates fan. But there's part of me that always is going to think of her as Annie from this movie. Like, probably because it's how I was introduced to her. If I think of her name, it's this character that pops into my head. I also think you know? that this is how she so easily fits into the Ryan Murphy American Horror Story mm-hmm. universe. You mm-hmm. know, that that if you've had this experience with her, she can be real scary. Oh, my God. And the Stephen King universe. Yeah. I mean, we're talking this. We're talking Dolores Claiborne. Yeah, she's she's all over King. That's for sure. Yeah. I got some stats about the movie. Stats, 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 stats. Misery opened on November 30th, 1990. Okay. Which seems right for the... That's for the it. snow and all of that stuff. That's, yeah, you don't want to open too good. early. You don't want to go Halloween because that feels too on the nose. Right. Wait, wait a month. Yeah. Uh, domestic gross of $61 million. Yeah, fine. Uh, making it the number 19 grossing movie of 1990. It is the number 1,381st top grossing movie of all time. Between. Oh, dear. Oh dear. We're actually in good shape. This okay, time. Right, I'm right. actually I'm I'm legit curious because you could make an argument for all three of these movies. Oh, I'm so. excited. Okay, a little more from the air. Uh so Misery comes between Friday Night Lights, the movie, not the, the movie. TV show, okay. and Get Him to the Greek, which was the Jonah Hill with Russell Brand. Russell Brand, yep. Kind of sequel to I Hate You, Sarah Marshall, or whatever. Is that what it was? Yes. So you get Friday Night Lights, Misery, Get Him to the Greek, Flirt, Marry, or Kill. Okay, I'm going to go with Kill, Get Him to the Greek. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and then... I I remember seeing that movie, but I can't tell you a single thing about it. (laughs) I'll flirt with Misery, but I'm going to marry Friday Night Lights. Hey, we've got the same answer. Yay! Uh, flirt with misery, marry Friday night lights over and over and over again. Yes. And if you'll throw in the TV show, I'll marry you again. I'll marry right. You. I will say I've had, <laughs> I've, I've have watched this movie, but I've way more contact with Kyle Chandler <laughs> exactly. And, exactly. Uh, and the show. But yes, <laughs> misery has a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. which is a very good score. And one of the people that liked it was Roger Ebert. Oh, Raj Raj has been coming in um, very short and sweet this year. Roger's reviews have been coming in um, very tight. uh, Roger. He says, it is a good story, a natural, and it grabs us. Three out of four stars. Thanks, Raj. Great. Uh, Not a lot to work with there, but okay. Sure. Hmm. Raj is like, thumbs up, good movie. Next. (laughs) Next movie. Uh, Janet Maslin, the film and literary critic at the New York Times, uh, had a write-up about this movie, I think in conjunction with other horror movies that came came out at the time. She says, the film which loses impact when the full breadth of its horror finally erupts into violence. 
depends upon a tranquil looking surface to convey the barely controllable destructiveness lurking just below. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a quiet film that has, you know, a dark heart. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, whenever you're setting things in snow, it's also always just muted in that way too. Yeah. Same with the shining. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, How did it do at the Oscars? It won one Oscar. Betsy. Was it Bates? Yeah, man. Yeah. Good good friend Kathy Bates won Best Actress for Misery. Well deserved. Well deserved. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think, but she got like before this, she was doing like single episodes of like LA Law. (laughs) Yeah. You know, yeah. like it's 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 amazing that seriously, yeah, absolutely. It's one of those one of those roles. I'm sorry, Paul. This is all wrong. What? You'll have to do it over again. It's not worthy of you. Throw it all out, except for that part of naming the grave digger after me. You can leave that in. I really value your criticism, but maybe we're being a little hasty here. Paul, what you've written just isn't fair. Not fair. That's right. When I was growing up in Bakersfield, my favorite thing in all the world was to go to the movies on Saturday afternoons for the chapter plays. Cliffhangers. I know that, Mr. Man. They also call them serials. I'm not stupid, you know. Anyway, my favorite was Rocket Man. And once it was a no-breaks chapter, and the bad guy stuck him in a car on a mountain road and knocked him out and welded the door shut and tore out the brakes and started him to his death. And he woke up and tried to steer and tried to get out, but the car went off a cliff before he could escape. And it crashed and burned, and I was so upset and excited. And the next week, you better believe I was first in line. And they always start with the end of the last week. And there was Rocket Man trying to get out. And here comes the cliff. And just before the car went off the cliff, he jumped free. And all the kids cheered. But I didn't cheer. I stood right up and started shouting, This isn't what happened last week! Have you all got amnesia? They just cheated us! This isn't fair! He didn't get out of the cock-a-doody car! They always cheated like that in um, chapter plays. But not you. Not with my misery. What's the legacy of this movie? I wrote down fan obsession. So I was watching this movie on HBO Max. And when I went to go watch this movie, the Justice League Snyder Cut was right beside it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, how ironic. A, a Twitter petition for an unreleased version of a movie and total fan obsession leading to Warner Brothers ordering reshoots and all kinds of crazy stuff with their Justice League franchise. And here I am watching a movie about fan obsession and how it can get pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> like 30 years, like, you know, the discourse around things like Star Wars, Marvel, Gamergate, fan obsession is toxic and bullying behavior on the internet that we yeah, see nowadays. Into. Sure. This movie feels like it has a lot to say about that. Yeah. I would agree with you on that. I think also, you know, as I talked about the kind of, stalking conversation that you know maybe maybe he was a little bit ahead of his i mean it's not like other people had been stalked but kind of stalking reaching into you know the lifetime moviness of it all like him him kind of doing something on that i find i do find that interesting you know it makes you wonder like paul sheldon was a writer now what would his you know beehive or whatever you know what would his what would his uh right. his, his followers be named 
you stand your people. Yeah, stand's a great word, right? Because we get that from the Eminem song mm-hmm. about the obsessed fan who like kidnaps his girlfriend or I mean, you know, this horribly toxic, yep. violent narrative. And people use this phrase as if it's like a badge of honor mm-hmm. that you love something so much that you're willing to do what for it, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And also this this commentary about the creative process when we feel so trapped. Because he was already trapped. He was already trapped in having to be the writer of misery mm-hmm. and having to do this and be this as a writer to then become physically trapped because yeah. of the narrative again. And that 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 kind of commentary on the creative process that he's also offering here as well. It does make you think about who who owns this stuff, you know, like an example is that George Lucas creates Star Wars he can make that story whatever he wants to. It's a, it's a fairy tale legend, like set in a universe, like far, far away, a galaxy far, far away. Right. Um, So he, he can do whatever he wants to with that story. It came out of his brain. But when the prequel series came out, like he ends up getting this backlash from fans saying, well, but that's not, that's not star Wars. (laughs) It's like, well, yeah, it is. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's like, it's like it's the story that came out of my brain just like the first three movies were the story that came out of my brain like i don't understand why you guys are being mean to me about this you know well and Um, that element of ownership i mean you said it about justice league and all you know when we talked about it before on you know when we talked about different canons of popular culture that once they've been released out into the world yes they are still the property of their creator but then they become everybody's Mm-hmm. property um it's in the same way that when we see you know is it okay to mourn the loss of a celebrity well you know they're they were make you remember how you connect with their material what was going on in your life at the time you know it all just becomes woven into who we are as as people the meaning we make out of all of those things mm-hmm. i think there's a lot being said here about the creative process do we give more power to entertainment than it deserves 30 years from this movie Yes, we give it even more now. Yeah, I feel like than we did then. Then back then, you didn't necessarily have a way to connect with other people about the experience. Mm-hmm. Just how technology has changed that, so that you can feel like you know we're the army for whoever. I mean, that we put it in militarized terms. Mm-hmm. But there was no way to link up, so you were kind of over there in your world. Being like, oh, this is the thing I've discovered, and maybe I'll find a few more people who are kind of into it. Yeah, uh, Stephen King has said this. This story is about his addiction, right? So it's about his addiction to cocaine and his addiction to drugs in the eighties. And but I think that I think that it also serves as a as a story about addiction to popular culture mm-hmm. and how we can use the world of Harry Potter or use the world of Star Trek or use the world of fill in the blank. We give it more prominence and more power than it actually deserves. Like it can inform our lives without controlling our lives. But that element of when you feel alone, I think that is where it really, when you feel alone and it makes you less lonely Mm -hmm. and then you get a pig and name it misery, right? That there's, there's these elements of I am not by myself because this content exists, but 
when it becomes everything, when it becomes how you build your world around something. And some of that is, I mean, there's, there's elements too, where we get lost in a narrative mm-hmm. and it becomes, and we don't know where we start and the narrative ends and, you know, that sort of idea. Uh, who is this movie for Betsy? Boomers. <laughs> I mean, this is a hard one. Yeah, this is a hard who one. Feel, who feel trapped by the narrative of their lives. Wow. You went very metaphorical with it. I Way more than I did. Uh-oh, what'd you say? Oh, I just said that it's, it is an all audiences horror movie. Like it's as, it's as all audience as a horror movie can get. Like it's not like the slasher guys of Jason, yeah. Freddie, Chucky. It's not over sexualized. It's, it's not, yeah, it's not obscure like Suspiria, you know, like whatever. Right. It's um it's right there. It's like a mainstream Hollywood movie that just happens to be a horror movie. I mean, any moment when you can you can still pick up the story, but you can hide your face. Like mm-hmm. that, that's kind of what we're talking about, I think. It's a horror movie that you could take your parents to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes as long as they don't have foot you know if, as long as they're not squeamish about foot issues Ugh. what is your rating for this movie out of five i'll give it a four out of five hey betsy we are twins we're misery did i take twins. your rating yes we're misery twins everything on this podcast we have agreed on that is Except crazy for, you know i agreed on kathy bates i was being a little contrarian because i just really wanted to talk about richard Farnsworth. <laughs> so, you know. yeah yeah four out of five yeah i wrote that uh this movie never drags it's both familiar and unique at the same time mm-hmm. i like the pacing of it yeah i feel like if it was made now it might be too fast yeah it really lets you breathe. It really lets you, you know, just kind of get into it, like settle in, you know, not everything has to happen in the first act. You can, yes, you can kind of settle into it. Mm-hmm. One last question, Betsy, why did you nominate Misery for our going on 30? This is a, this is a Betsy pick. This is so a pick. why did you nominate this? I just thought in terms of Stephen King content, that crosses into a nominated area. This would be one of, this is one of those films, you mm-hmm. know, having the acting in it is really strong. And it's, it was just a different way to do, it was a the real modern thriller take. And when you look at some of our other films this year, you know, I don't think anything builds suspense like this does. No, you know, this, just, yeah. yeah, this movie is great. As a matter of fact, I can't, reasonably understand why this movie wasn't nominated and something like the Godfather part three was. <laughs> Don't get me started. No. I mean, I feel like or ghost actually, no, it take, I take that back. I can't understand why misery wasn't nominated and ghost was. Yes. That is it. We are done with misery. Let's see. We have survived our trip down the mountain. In our rear wheel drive Mustang. The worst idea ever. Woo. We have. We have walked down memory lane ourselves. That's right. And I have the press clippings to prove it. That's right. Uh, next up is another Betsy pick. Two Betsy mm-hmm. picks in a row. Yes. We are doing postcards from the edge next time. Yes. The story of Carrie Fisher. Is it postcards from the edge, colon, the Carrie Fisher story? It is not leaves leaves that kind of out there (laughs) but i think being someone who 
it has enjoyed the writing of Carrie Fisher over the years and still misses her as a person on this planet. I'm, I'm excited to go back and revisit this film. And this, and this is our first Meryl Streep offering for going Shocking. on 30. We have not Shocking. done Meryl Streep yet. What has she Amazing. been doing? Well, we did not nominate She Devil. No. Roseanne Barr. So Roseanne was already because she already had the sitcom when she double came. Yes. Yes. Cry in the Dark was 88. Maybe a dingo ate your baby. Yes. (laughs) She also seems to be doing these narrator storytellers for Peter Rabbit type stuff that seems to be happening. (laughs) She was taking a detour. Ironweed was in 87, but we we didn't have a podcast then. So sorry. No, we did not. We were doing Glenn Close back then. We were, sorry. So all right. Exciting. Yeah. And Shirley McClain. Love some Shirley McClain. Betsy, thank you for nursing me back to health during this conversation. I really appreciate it. Uh what do you I can walk again? Um question. Why do you have the sledgehammer in your um that's uh what are you doing? What? My mom, my mom left it in here. It's fine. Wait, it's fine. Wait. I really don't want to talk about it. Can we just, let's just wrap. Just <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.